In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. A spirit, one spirit is in this very room. In this very room. And so I invite you to know with me. I invite you to share my words and intention if they're a good fit for you. And if not, just let them wash over you. But what I recognize in this moment is the one life, the one power, and the one presence. And it's that it is the activity of the unseen at that quantum level of our lives. And it is a force for good, and a force for creativity, a force for supply and abundance, a force that, that brings light to the world by means of each and every one of us. And so that life is our life, my life, your life. And so as we stand in that recognition and that identification with it, I know that everything we think, do, and say is enhanced in its impact. So I know that for myself, I'm guided in the highest thoughts, the highest words, the highest vibration possible in this moment as I stand united with that principle of life knowing that every good thing necessary for you and I to experience, to reveal the next insight, the next awareness, the next step to take, the next opportunity to put down what no longer serves us, whatever it may be, I know that we stand in that infinite wisdom and discernment and that we see the world, our lives with new eyes that frees us, supports us, and loves us as we love the world. So I give thanks this day for this community, for this teaching, for all of the teachers that have supported us in our, on our journey, all of, us, all of us have a variety of those bringing us together this day. I know it is powerful and amazing that our consciousness is transformed simply by being together as a result of sharing this space. This is my knowing, this is my declaration, and I give thanks for this. And as I invite you to say the closing words, this is your agreement with it. And together we say, and so it is. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Kelly Collins, for your beautiful music. She's an amazing lady. Just an amazing presence and light and love. So we've been talking about the company we keep, and today is about ourselves and the company that we keep. So there's a picture of a little girl up there looking in a mirror. Children, little, little kids don't know for a period of time and it varies. There's no like trigger. There's no months or whatever that when they see something in a mirror, it's, that it's them. There's a certain recognition that goes on and there's ways to accelerate that. But this discovery of who we are, ourselves. So when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you're standing there in your glory, do you look at yourself and say, wow, 
That is just so amazing. Look at this. Huh? Do you dwell upon that? Do you in your mind's eye see the longing and the perfection? Or do you look at yourself and go, oh my gosh. Oh. Look at that. Oh. And I know we laugh about it. But it is so important. It is so important. So when we look in the mirror, there's a picture of inspired uh, today by a, a few wonderful thinkers. You know, we have so much great science on the planet right now. And the next slide is a picture of uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And he has committed his sort of, his, his life and his work to neuroscience and how the brain works and how our thinking works and how it impacts us. And as you can see, that just above his head there, it says, your thoughts have consequences so great they create your reality. Thoughts have consequences so great they create our reality. And so when we get up in the morning and we look at the mirror and we go, oh, what are we we putting forward? What are we enhancing? What are we affirming and knowing for ourselves? What energetic are we we capturing? What are we stepping into? In, In Dr. Joe's book here, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, we don't have them in the bookstore, so don't bother looking, but you can find them online at amazon.ca. He has a wonderful quote on, on, uh, at the introduction. He says, if an atom, if an atom, we're all made up of atoms, right? That's what we call it, but we call it atoms. And atoms are a, a, a particle of energy. If an atom is 99.99999% energy and 0.0001% is physical substance, then I'm actually more nothing than something. <laughs> Did you know that? We're actually more nothing than something which means we're more energy than we are form. And yet this feels so dense, doesn't it? But you know, the the totality of what we are, I mean, when we talk about oneness, man, we are connected because energetically we're connected. And some some energies we run into and and, and we're drawn to it, and others we're we're sort of pushed away. Because that's that's the language we, we speak at that quantum level. So he says, so why do I keep my attention on that small percentage of my physical world when I'm so much more? So why do I give so much energy when I look in the mirror and see myself in the morning? Why do I give myself so much energy to what that form looks like? When in fact, what you get to say is, wow, this is, this is my canvas that I get to create on. And, and, and the form looks like this right now. But to, to, to enhance the ideal of what that will feel like and what that will allow me to be on this planet, my part to play in this is to reach for the highest thought possible. What does that look like? That's our work to do. Because it's infinite intelligence. I mean, Ernest Holmes taught this stuff. He was writing about this in the 1920s. And so, and we stand here celebrating his genius. He was 100 years ahead of his time, basically. But scientists are now showing up and saying, hey, not only is this this idea uh, correct, here's some science to back it up. And so that's why I think for all of us, as we look at the world, I mean, there's a lot of problems in the world, are there not? If you look at the situation in Missouri right now where a young man was killed, his life was taken, and there's problems with the police, and there's been rioting going on, and there's all this chaos and anger and frustration. For all of us, all of us, to do our own work, to do our own house cleaning, to to come into the understanding that one person's diminishing another person is in no way, shape, or form enhances our lives. And yet so many people fight for the status quo or what they think is theirs. And it doesn't mean that we don't have in our lives. It doesn't mean, but it's just we have it in a different way. 
We cannot legislate consciousness. You cannot legislate compassion. You cannot legislate love. Now, we need to have those things in place at times to move society along. We need to create opportunities for, that, for the, uh, what I think is the highest and best ideal. But at some point in time, I think the thinking behind it is the consciousness kept, catches up with that ideal. So Joe says here, why do I keep my attention on a small percentage of the physical world when I'm so much more? And, and the beautiful thing about that is, too, is how do I think about that situation and what am I offering? Am I judging the people that I disagree with or am I understanding that something greater and more magnificent is going to come out of this? And let's know everybody has everything they need to survive and to grow and to move through this as quickly as possible so the new idea that is seeking expression can be born. Because it's just resistance. It's just resistance and yet it's painful. That resistance can be painful. It's, and Joe says this, this is his question, is defining my present reality by what I perceive with my senses the biggest limitation I have? Aha. So what we see and how we define it can become the biggest limitation we have or the biggest opportunity. All the great people that have come along that have, have enhanced the world, and we have their banners on the wall. Gandhi, there's Oprah, Albert Einstein, Martin Luther King, John Lennon, and Ernest Holmes, Mother Teresa, Dalai Lama. One of the things that separates them from the, the, the status quo or the average level of thinking is they had an ideal in mind that they continued to pursue and they continued to nurture within themselves despite what people would tell them. I mean, that's, it's so simple, isn't it? Wow, there's the formula. And so, and, and what it is, but what's unique about that? What, what set them apart? How were they able to do that? Something bigger is wanting to happen here, and I'm going to be a place where I support that idea. And I know the next right ideas are going to... So working in, in concert with that infinite divine intelligence. Joe, plus, uh, Joe uh, Dispenza talks about, he's got a book called The Placebo Effect. And in it, he talks about, and we know this, we all know there's a placebo effect where you can give a study group half the medication they need and the other half sugar pills. And the other half that get sugar pills, half of the people will respond to the sugar pills as if they're getting the medication. It's fascinating. What's going on there? Something is shifting in their awareness. What Joe says about it with the placebo effect is there's three things that need to happen. Number one is acceptance. It's just acceptance. Hmm. I think I'll take these pills, and I think they'll, you know, and I expect something to happen, which is the belief. So it's acceptance, it's belief, and it's surrender. Those are the three qualities that are necessary for the placebo effect to have impact in our lives. Acceptance, go ahead and flash the next one, Kev. Belief and surrender. All three of those are necessary. But we know that. And we can tap into that. I mean, I'm speaking, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know that when you set an intention in your life, it's going to influence outcome. Now, it may not be the ideal that you're anticipating, but it'll get you moving in that direction. That's the great thing about a goal. You know, just because you have a goal and you don't meet it within the first 24 hours does not mean that you've failed. It just means that it's, you've started the momentum to move in that and then that the consciousness required and the shifts, shifts and changes within all of us to, to make that manifest, uh, th that's our work to do. What Joe says happens with the next slide, he talks about memorized emotion. What happens for us is we have experiences, we have thinking. So well, something happens. And then we have a memory. And that creates an emotion. So you had a favorite dog as a kid and the dog died. And you loved that dog. And it was tragic for you. And, and so 
in that um, experience after that, for some people, it would be that every time they went to the place where the dog and, and that, that individual had spent time, every time you see a dog, every time you think of the dog, on and on and on, you go back into that memory, which is, which is memorized emotion. So all of us have memorized emotion, which becomes our subconscious nature. And our subconscious nature then rules our lives. This is where phobias come from. This is where addictions come from. And so it's not about uh, feeling helpless in this. I mean, the reality is we have a choice. My role here, you know, the role and all the leadership stuff I've gone through is to cast a vision of possibility. And so what happens here is I'll, I'll cast a vision and then it's always, it always comes from somewhere. And I, I, know, I know it now. It's not, a, it's not something to be frustrated with. It took me 12 years to figure this out. But it's part of the thinking process. Someone will step up and say, that's impossible. You can't do that. Don't do that. You're going to offend someone. There's fear around that. We can't do that. We can't possibly do this, da, 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 on and on and on. Now, I have two choices. I can agree or I can simply honor what they're feeling, say it's true and I understand and I've been there because I can go there with you. If we sit around long enough, you can convince me that the world is, is hopeless and helpless. It's going to take us a while. If anybody here like to come in this week, let's start on Monday, we'll go through Thursday. If you can get me there, great, and we'll start next week again. But what I'm saying is my role here is not to buy into that. And I would say your role is the same as metaphysicians. If you're going to use this teaching, use the teaching and live, live an incredibly amazing life. But when you start buying into the limitation, the lack, and the fear, it's like, well, what's the point? I can go back to my, 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 my tradition of origin and get plenty of that. You know, I was told that I was born with original sin. Man, that's a great way to start life, isn't it? I mean, really, think about that. I am so grateful that I've made it this far. Holy cow. I'm, I, I know it's funny, but it's true. So you start out with, the, with the, the deck stacked against you. You know, they're holding all the aces, and you're sitting there hoping to get a pair, you know. Well, I got a pair of twos. Making progress. But the point is, is that, you know, whatever we're given to believe, we believe. And when we're little kids, we get domesticated, so we have, and we have these emotional memories. So then I do something wrong that I don't tell anybody about. You know, I, I, I remember the first, I went to confession the first time, and I thought it was a sin. I was out playing hide-and-seek one time, and I thought it was a sin to, to, use, to go to the bathroom outside. You know, I needed to pee, and I was nervous, and I'm hiding. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't get back. And I confessed that to the priest. And he said, well, do you have anything more? I said, no. You know, I hadn't learned any of the good cuss words yet, and I, I didn't know about lying to your mom. I always told the truth, so I was like, yeah, okay, I guess I'm, I got but I got to come up with some sin. I mean, what a system. Because, you know, when they set that, it sets you up for that, you start looking for stuff. And then you go, well, I got to have something to confess. I might as well go ahead and do that, because I can get rid of it, and then my soul's clean again for another week. You know, I mean, that's what um, David Hawkins talks about, where he would, he would always want to have his soul pure. And he said he's driving to church with his mom and dad, and he looks up and he sees this billboard of a woman, a beautiful woman in a, a Janssen, bath, uh, Janssen uh, uh, bathing suit ad. And he went, oh, golly. <sighs> you know, you spin right into the imagination, and here he is as a 14-year-old boy lusting. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm hooped, you know. <laughs> so anyway, there's, there's a practice, and it's available to you if you'd like. I just find it more interesting not to buy into what other people have imposed upon me and to realize that, that if we all realize who we are and what we are and our opportunity to express life in a bigger way, it, it, it changes everything. So I saw a beautiful um, 
beautiful movie this week, and it talks about memorized emotion. It's called Free the Mind. And it's based on, so the picture coming up is a fellow by the name of Richard J. Dawson. And he is a professor at the University of Wisconsin. He was voted one of the uh, top 100 most influential people on the planet right now. And he's been doing work around meditation and spiritual practice. In 1999, he met the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama said, why don't you take your work? Because he was working with people with post-traumatic stress disorder. And he was working with children that have attention deficit. And the Dalai Lama said, why don't you look at how we teach meditation and look how we approach compassion and kindness. There may be some correlations there. And what they found is he's taken some of the Buddhist practices because what they know is that if you spend three months in a compassion meditation practice, your physiology, your mindset, and everything about you shifts and changes phenomenally. 90 days. 90 days of a, of a, a simple meditation practice. And so what the movie's about is he has two study groups. One's a small group of children, and they follow this one little boy, and he's got attention deficit, and he's been traumatized, so he can't get on an elevator. He's about four or five years old, and he's terrorized by elevators. And so what the people that are working with him do, it's wonderful because they teach the children, well, when he goes into a panic, they take him over to the elevator and say, you want to get on the elevator today or you want to do it tomorrow? They always give him a choice. He says, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Okay, Great. But this is the elevator. Remember the elevator? Yeah, yeah. And, he'll, and then what they'll say, because he'll have a panic attack looking at the elevator. They'll say, where do you feel that? And he'll point to his body and say, oh, I feel it right here. Oh, okay. And what should we do with that when that happens? And he'll stand and look, and, the, and the, the, the teacher will say, well, let's do some breathing. So let's breathe right now into that space. Let's just breathe. And so then they come back a few, a few days later, you know, in the film, I don't know how long it is, and they'll say, let's, let's see if we can push the button to open the elevator, which creates, and once again, they go back to where does you feel the, the tension and, and all this stuff, and they just work and work. The patience is phenomenal. And then finally, he gets on the elevator with his friends, and they bring a group. But it's, I mean, it's just interesting to watch how this child has been traumatized for some reason around elevators. So the other study groups, so you have the little kids, then you have this group of soldiers that have come back from the Iraq war. This is the US, they're in Wisconsin, and there's a group of about seven or eight, and they've all seen horrific things. And this one soldier, that two of them they focus on pretty well, says, you know, I did things as a soldier that were horrific, that were acceptable there, but I know are not acceptable here. And so he's carrying all this trauma with him. And they said to these soldiers at one time, it's like showing a three or four year old the movie The Exorcist would tra traumatize you, and you have had the same experience as a soldier. You've seen friends killed, you've seen people, horrific things happen that they describe them, and so they carry that with them. It becomes their memory, their subjective nature. And because it is not our inherent nature to kill one another, it is such a violation of our spirit, they carry this with them, and they're trying to unravel that. And so what he does with them, as they get together, he says, I want to invite you guys to participate. Who will participate in a program? We're going to do this for seven days, three hours a day. You're going to come in and we're going to breathe. We're going to teach you how to breathe effectively. We're going to, and we're going to talk about what's feeling, what's coming up. And so in other words, as Dr. Holmes would say, look at a thing long enough till it no longer has power over you. And so they would come together and they would say, I'll, I'll, and he said, okay, I'd like you to open your mouth sl slightly and just breathe into your throat. Open your throat and breathe. And when we do that, we take the air in fully, and it affects us. Part of the theme in that film is, can we change our brains by breathing? And in fact, we can. 
So after seven days of doing this, and one of the, sold, one of the soldiers that's been traumatized. Now, I, and this is a, a statistic. The soldiers coming back from the Iraq war in the United States, a thousand of them a month attempt suicide. A thousand of them a month. And there's been, you know, there's been hundreds, or there's been thousands of soldiers over there. I don't know the number, but a thousand a month on average attempt suicide. So doesn't that speak volumes to the, the, the divine nature that we are and what a violation of trying to destroy one another is? And then try and come back and incorporate that and that, that, that trauma that you carry. And so what they did with these soldiers is for seven days, three hours a day, they would do meditation practices, they would do breathing, they would do physical things to release some of the energy. And after seven days, two of the two that they focused on, their, their effects of the trauma had diminished 40% and their ability to sleep had been just greatly enhanced because they were taking medication even to sleep. In seven days, what a difference of having mindful spiritual practice of breathing, of being present in your lives. The brain can change the brain. But what happens when we're living from that memory, we keep having the same experience over and over again. And so awareness is, is, is catching ourselves sooner rather than later when we start to spin and live from our memories. If we live from our memories, we keep having the same experience over and over again. Over and over again. And, and, and it's comfortable and it's familiar, but it's not why we, it's not why we ta- have taken form. It's quite fascinating. This guy's just a, a fascinating educator, this uh, Richard Dawson. And so at the end, the little boy is finally able to ride the elevator. The soldiers have found greater peace, and the the facilitator says to the soldiers, you know, it's just time for you guys to start smiling again. You gotta start smiling again. You're not helping anyone. You know, one soldier's wife had left him because he couldn't be, he was so angry. He came back and he he just felt such a sense of shame. It's time for you guys to start breathing again. But it speaks volumes to what Ernest Holmes talked about. We, and we need practices in our lives. We all need to have... See, when we handle the things in the exterior of our lives, you know, I know a lot of times, well, I, you know, I, I teach a lot here prosperity principles. And the reason I do that is when we handle the things in the exterior of our lives, it allows us more freedom and space so we can work on the inside. But I know when I first found this teaching, my spiritual practice was working 100 hours a week. And I did, man, I was, I was just a mule. I could go and go and go and get stuff done. And it was a beautiful way to keep myself occupied because it's an acceptable addiction. And then what I realized is, you know, I'd like a little more space in my life. I'd like a little more abundance in my life, which was time and energy and health, not just prosperity. That's a big part of it. So that I can focus more on the inside because as we, we handle things on the outside, we have greater clarity. One of the things that we're really clear about in this community over the last several months is to bring a form, of, uh, a form of order to what we do on a Sunday. So there's an order, there's an anticipation. You know, you don't come in here every week. I used to do it, but I finally stopped it. And the chairs do change once in a while. But, you know, it's not like we do a different thing every time you come. There's, a, there's an order to it that allows us to deepen and to move into connection with our higher selves. You're not here to hear me. You think you are. But at some point between my words, you're hearing yourself. That's really the value in this. Because I'm not the expert in your life. You're the expert in your life. I'm here to share what I've been guided to share so that it can assist you in your blossoming. But that's, see, I'm responsible to you, but I'm not responsible for you. In other words, if I got up here and thought everybody's life was going to be transformed because I told them how to do it, and I've been in churches like that, 
I know you're perfect, whole, and complete, and I can fix that for you too. <laughs> but it's, it's the conversation, and it's so that you can elevate your thinking, and you can put things down that don't work for you. So Dr. Holmes, so our tool here, one of our primary tools in this teaching, which I think is wonderful and powerful, is spiritual mind treatment. So our tool is, is the spiritual mind treatment is a process by which we change the way we think about ourselves in order to improve the quality of our lives and to make the world in which we live a better place to be. That's the whole purpose of it. Next slide, please. Dr. Holmes goes on and continues. The purpose of spiritual mind treatment is to clarify our minds with spiritual truth in order to produce a spiritual realization. And such a realization is a self the felt sense of the reality of the truth in our souls, which is our divine connection. But if we're always spinning into the, the cellular memory, the subconscious, it just hijacks us. We lose our minds. And there's one more slide about Dr. Holmes. Ernest Holmes emphasized over and over again that every manifestation or demonstration of truth in our physical experience of life must be preceded by a spiritual realization in our souls. In other words, we embody it. So people will say to me, how long do I have to do this affirmative prayer? And I'll say, till it sh shifts and changes. It might be one time, it might be a thousand. That's up to you, that's not up to me. But it changes as we change and grow. But it's such a powerful tool. It's a powerful tool if you go to the next slide when Dr. Holmes first put this together. There's the five steps up there. but there, Actually, it was in uh, the book, The New Design for Living. He, he, he said there's four. He, he had defined four, and we added release later. So when you come to one of our classes, you, we immerse ourselves in this spiritual practice. The first part of the practice is recognition. And recognition is to remember again, is what it means in this practice, to remember, because we forget. We go to sleep in the cellular memory. We go to sleep in the, in the form, which is 1%, a small percentage of who we are. And it's to remember, wait a minute, I'm not this. This is what my life reflects. This is how I measure. This isn't what I am. I'm not trapped. Because the bottom line is we either decide we're part of the shifts and changes that want to happen in our own lives, which means we're supporting one another in that, or we just lay down on our backs and put our paws up in the air and say, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. Because there's plenty of people out there that tell you it's hopeless. And the only reason it's hopeless is because they believe it's hopeless. So, it, it, but, but, you know, and it's disappointing when that happens. Or they become entrenched in their way and say their way is the only way. That's always another fun thing to encounter. Because we don't know. But to be open to it. So we have a chance. So, so if we want to surrender, we surrender. But if not, we keep doing the work. We keep looking. We keep digging. We keep revealing. We keep lifting. We keep dissolving. We keep expressing. The newness. I, I think that's the most fun thing we can do. We get to create newness. What's the next new idea in my life? One of the things that um, is recommended around recognition, one of the ways we can connect with it better is, is to the reading or reciting of Scripture is an excellent way to re embrace the principle of recognition. So, and there's plenty of Scripture. It's not just the, the Christian Bible. But something that inspires us because there's a, there's a vibration with it. There's a, there's a consciousness upon it. The next quality is the identification, and identification is to be identical to. So I recognize who I am. I'm spirit in form, eternal on this journey. I'm not this physical body, that's a small portion of who I am, but my consciousness is so powerful. And, so, and then what I know is that that one life is my life, I identify with it. Because what we identify with, we become. 
And so if you're reading stuff about lack and limitation, how, how horrible the world is all the time, we identify with that. Energetically, we're there. We're in their camp. And I'm not saying don't identify with that. I'm just, I don't read and be informed. But simply what I do when I hear that is that doesn't represent me. I'm not going there. You know, and the same thing when people come in and there's fears around whatever it may be. It's like, I can't, you know, if you, if you come to me as a practitioner and want my prayer support and my knowing for you, I'm not going to agree with the limitations that you, you carry with you. It's not my responsibility. I can't do that. But thank you so much for having such a tender and open and, and vulnerable heart so you can express it because as, as, as Emma Kurt, or, uh, Mary Baker Eddy said, a, a, an error revealed is two-thirds healed. We need to speak it. We need to get it up. That's what they did with these soldiers. They had them journal. They had them talk about their experiences. Because when you bring it into the light of consciousness and awareness where it's sacred, it dissolves. The next one is declaration. As a result of the first two steps, as a result of recognition and identification, we become the centers of expression of the infinite, the divine, the truth of our souls. And then we go into Acceptance. We've done the work, we've set it up. The reason, one of the hardest steps in treatment is the release, because most people won't release it, or there are claw marks on it when they let it go. <laughs> well, you release it, it's the acceptance to say, I'm ready, I'm ready for this. Something great is on its way. Something wonderful is happening here, or not. What do you say to yourself when, when we say that? You go, oh, no, it's not. You don't have my job. Have you seen my checking account lately? Those are just current conditions. You've had to visit, you have to visit lack and limitation in order to get a bigger idea. You know, who's, who's, who's deciding in your life? Who's the decider in your life of what your life will look like? So recognition, identification, declaration, acceptance, and then there's a release. But in uh, the New Design for Living, Dr. Holmes described the first four steps. The next slide says, this affirmation, whatever it may be, can either be instantly or gradually established, can establish an inward recognition which becomes permanent. Because we have a, we, our subjective nature right now, we have permanent beliefs right now. We have permanent ideas. So it's just a matter of, what, you know what, that one's taken me as far as I can go, it's time for a new idea. It's time for something new. I'm gonna choose new and I'm gonna keep working with it till it becomes the embodied idea I carry. And that usually takes time. As Dr. Holmes said, it can happen instantaneously. But most of the time, it's gradual. That's why we need the practice. In seven days, these soldiers went from wanting to kill themselves to feeling like, I want to be alive again. I, I want to be here. I want to be with my family. I want to smile again. I mean, it was amazing to watch in seven days what happened. I thought, holy cow. Someone was telling me this uh, yesterday or the day before, if you're over 65 years old, and you walk around the block one time a day, doesn't matter if you go left or right, either way will work, that your cognitive abilities increase 10%. I, she told me that, I went around the block 10 times this morning because I knew I had a lot to, I wanted a 100% increase. But isn't it amazing? I mean, just simple little practice, 10 minutes of meditation a day. We did 15 minutes, Laura and I, this morning. We got up and we were you know, getting ready and I gotta go and I said, come on, let's do our meditation. Let's do 15 minutes, because we usually go much longer, and it felt like, like that. But it's just, it's, it's connecting ourselves. It's not about, it's having the rituals in our lives. You know, I mean, I'm the crystal guy now. I go to John of God, I've never, you know, I never promoted crystals. We don't sell them in the bookstore. Crystals don't have any power. They represent a quality that reminds us of who we are. My mother always carries a rosary. Rosary doesn't have any power. It's the consciousness that she places upon the rosary, the, the meaning she gives it. 
So it's not about, and that's why we, we, and we try to get everybody to take back their own responsibility and authority. So when we start to throw a lot of trinkets out there, it's like, oh, wow, this is the magic, you know, the, the, the magic, whatever. The point is what's happening with our consciousness. That's where the power is. Joe Dispenza knows it. Dr. Holmes said this. In the book, if you want to get one of his books, it's really great. It's a new design for living. It's one of his last books. But he talks about fear can bring about the condition feared, while faith can reverse it. In spiritual mind treatment, affirmation and denial is for the purpose of erasing the wrong thought patterns and establishing correct ones. And we go in, and, and we teach that and we support that. But it's because we all carry this stuff. So this is his tool. He knew this stuff years ago. Here's Joe Dispenza saying, here's the practices that'll help you uh, dissolve it. This practice is both scientific and effective in that a denial tends to erase the negative condition, while the opposite affirmation tends to establish a new thought pattern which works as automatically as the negative one did. So we get to choose. We get to pick and choose. And we get to filter through things. I want to share a cartoon with you here that I think represents... So here's the big cat, little cat talking to the big cat. I would have had these reports done sooner, but someone rolled a ball with a bell inside, inside it into my cubicle. <laughs> we get distracted really easy. So when you get distracted really easy, just bring yourself back to where you are. And if you haven't been smiling a lot lately, smile. You know, I, I wrote in the, the Science of Mind guides, uh, about Jack Kerouac, and Jack Kerouac was the traveling author, and you know he helped founded the Beat Generation. But Kerouac said, "Fall in love with your life, love your life." I love that. Love our lives and see where it takes us. We're always planting seeds. We always have the opportunity to plant a new seed. You know, in Christianity, Jesus said, "I have come so that you may have life and have life more abundantly." He was saying the same thing. We are renewed by the renewing of our minds. It's all there. It's all in sacred scripture. It's all pointing in the same direction. And it's all beautiful. And it's ours to incorporate at a deeper level. And it's ours to express. Because if we're going to make this, this world uh, a place that is, is uh, beautiful and wonderful and inviting for the generations that come behind us, this is our work to do. And then we hand the baton off to them. And, and there'll be an opportunity for them as well. So thank you for the work you do. Thank you for your deep caring. Thank you for your love. Thank you for not continuing to buy into the status quo of your belief system over and over and over again. To question your belief system and to, to invite the new and, and wondrous ideas into your life. It's a beautiful thing and a beautiful thing to be part of. So I'm looking forward to the future with you. Blessings and we'll see you next week.